0: Daniel Day Lewis is really just a guy
1: called Dan Lewis. Oh, both critics are giving as good as they're getting. I've never seen such an even match. Titanic sucked. The MCU is over. Oh, my God. What a stunning double blow. Both men have fallen to the mat. This one, could one, be a one, double one, knockout, folks. Two, three, four.
2: What happened? I think we just knocked each other out. We must be in Bala La Land. Really? I don't see Emma Stone. I mean, we're unconscious. This is a dream
0: sequence, I think. Wow, that's weird. Well, I mean, if it's a dream sequence, who's dreaming? Is it me or you? Ugh, both of us, I guess. If only Phil were here, then we could do the podcast at least.
1: Hey, guys. Phil. Phil.
2: You're,
1: you're back. back.
2: It's It's a a dream dream come come true.
1: true. Oh, yeah. I've actually been stuck in this episode's dream sequence for, like, three weeks. It probably happened when you guys messed with the quantum realm.
2: Okay. Well, play the theme song. No, not that one.
0: You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from somewhere in the
2: universe. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy. And sitting alongside us is Filmy and Phil. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. This week on Cinema Jaw Matt, we're talking boss battles. Our top five boss battles, indeed, and that's because we're reviewing Creed 3.
0: And we have an amazing guest joining us, Paul Farber. He is the host of a podcast called The Statue, which takes a six part look at the Rocky statue in Philadelphia. It's from WHYY and NPR. And I'm
2: thrilled to have Paul on the podcast, right? Absolutely. Paul is from Philadelphia. We should mention, which is where Rocky's from, so I mean, this all makes perfect sense. I can't wait to talk to Paul about Rocky, the Rocky statue, and obviously Creed Three. Indeed, indeed. besides that, we have to play some trivia, and in honor of Creed Three, we are playing boxing movie trivia. Sound good, Matt?:
0: uh, I got my gloves up, Ryan. I'm ready to defend myself.
2: And as I'll you probably top, get knocked out. As you heard at the top of the show, and we need to talk about this and, and be sincere. This is our six hundredth episode of Cinema Jaw. To Phil, to Matt, glad I'm doing it with you guys, and congratulations.
1: Congratulations to you, Rye, and to you, Phil. Thanks. Congratulations to you guys too. You know what's a, a real trip to think about? Uh, one. So my first episode, I believe, was uh, the Creed one review if i'm not mistaken wow and and di- it we're coming up on like we're getting pretty pretty close to 10 years of phil which is why i can't think of anything i've done for at least 10 years other than live and go to
2: school it's wild i mean me and rye what is this our 13th year well we started in 2009 so i guess at the end of this year october it'll be 14 years holy
0: crap that's a long time I'm really looking forward to episode 666 myself. And that's really not that far away. It's coming
2: right up. Oh Boy, I yeah. hope that
0: falls in Halloween, dude.
2: <laughs> that is crazy to think about. 14 years? This is nuts. But 600 episodes, as I, I thanked Phil and I thank Matt. We also got to thank the Jawheads for listening and supporting the show. We do it for you guys, and we love talking movies and, and hearing your feedback. So this has been a blast, and, and we're going to keep going for as Long as the Rocky series is going, we're going to keep going.
0: (laughs) Hey, I have a quick challenge for for the jawheads. If if you've been a long time listener, like a long long time listener, and you can remember stuff like when we used to record at Mother's, drop us a line. I just like to hear about that. Shoot us a tweet or an email. That would warm my heart.
1: And also, I think it's important. We should also thank the guests who have come on too. I think like we we owe so much to them as well. I mean, six hundred episodes worth of different people one that's not easy to get uh but i think it says a lot about the film industry just how many passionate people are out there making this stuff too and and we owe a lot to you guys as well for you know if it was just us three assholes that would get old real quick
2: agreed well said phil just to pull the curtain back a little bit here we've had very few like cancellations through the years uh believe it or not i mean it's going to happen from time to time. But it's amazing from day one, getting guests on how many have come through. It's staggering to me. And and like I say, very few times is it like, where's the guest? I mean, there were a couple of times where we were booked and we had to go solo because something happened. But for the most part, we're booking guests all the time. And, and Matt does a great job with that. And we got a, a great one coming on this week. I can't wait to talk to Paul. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, from, from the, here on
0: out, everyone's I, canceling because Ryan just jinxed it.
2: <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. It'll be Paul. We, we can't get Paul on the line suddenly. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it is March is the other order of business we want to get to here. We get done celebrating Michelle Pfeiffer. Very fun month of February. It's a short month, unfortunately, so Michelle only got 28 days. We move into March, and we narrowed it down to three people that we were thinking of doing a theme on and we turned to our patreons and they voted for none other than the great willem defoe he has a new movie coming out this month middle of the month and we're going to review it here on cinema jaw called inside in which he plays uh art thief so willem defoe back on the center stage we'll be re- celebrating him all month long let's kick this month of willem defoe off with a fact
1: Yes, in addition to being at least top five craziest people in Hollywood, or or craziest looking, I should say, best at playing crazy, uh, Willem Dafoe also has made history when he became the first actor nominated for an Academy Award for playing a vampire in a movie, which is crazy to me because vampires are like usually the best selling of monsters, you know, who who? Cares about a mummy's performance. Tom Cruise, well, Tom Cruise was in the mummy, but he was never a mummy, is my point.
2: Uh, Two answers
0: to that question. First of all... Hold
2: on, let him finish the fact here, Matt.
1: All right, go ahead.
2: Willem Dafoe's performance
1: in the Oscar-winning film Shadow of the Vampire earned him the nom for Best Supporting Actor uh, and really cemented his place in cinema history. Dafoe's portrayal of of the vampire in that film Count Orlok was praised for its realism and intensity. Realism when it comes to a monster is also saying something huge. Uh, And his performance Performance is widely acclaimed by critics and audiences alike. He does have a very vampire esque look. He sure about does. Him.
2: He sure does. I have actually never seen that film. Nor I have, have a, I. I? have a bunch of Defoe blind spot blind spots. So I'm excited to actually catch up with some of these that I've you know needed an excuse to finally hit play on.
0: I believe that's not the only time he ever played a vampire.
2: Well, he was in Daybreakers. Right, right.
0: But he I, was human,
2: he was, wasn't he? I wasn't positive on that if he was... Oh, gosh, I can't, can't remember. remember either. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, let's just throw in the fish tank. Can't remember. Find Perfect. out.
2: Perfect, yeah. Was Willem Dafoe a vampire? I'm going to say yes, but what would see what, what the fish tank has to
0: say. I think he might have been human, but yeah, we'll see. It's
2: All good right, to have Phil back, sh- you know? Oh, it sure is. It sure is. Let's get this show rolling, Matt. Without further ado, we bring in our guest... Paul Farber is the host of the statue, also part of the Monument Lab co-founder he is. Paul, welcome to Cinema
3: I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: We See, were we were teasing ahead, this episode since last week. We we mentioned that we we're excited to talk about Creed 3 and that we had this great guest coming on because you do a podcast about the Rocky statue. Um what a great tie-in here. You're from Philadelphia. How big of a deal is Rocky in Philadelphia?
3: Um, it, Rocky is um, as big as anything in our history in our culture. Um, you know we call him the most famous Philadelphian who never lived. Um, you know and that there's examples in the city. When you get to the airport, you know you can get um, your Ben Franklin, historical gear or your Rocky gear. You can (laughs) go almost anywhere in the city and put your arms up in the air triumphantly and people know what you're talking about. But I even put it as like when I'm traveling around the world and I will tell someone, a cab driver, like I'm from Philadelphia and like even if they barely speak English, they say Rocky and they put their arms up too. So it's like (laughs) It it is um, as big as it gets. It's one of the icons of the city. You know, we have soft pretzels, the Liberty Bell and Rocky.
0: So you're part you're the co-founder of the Monument Lab, which is a a lab that researches public art and public spaces. But in choosing the statue of Rocky, I'm assuming you must be like a Rocky super fan.
1: I
3: um I have to say I am someone who um I had an older brother who really grew up more in the like in the years of Rocky I was born the year that the Rocky statue came on film um which was 40 years ago and so I knew about the Rocky series you could not go anywhere in the city um, without hearing the the theme song like I mean in my um elementary school in our gym class if you went to a Phillies game you would hear it but really it kind of later in in growing up is when I I came into to Rocky I think it's more that my understanding of the statue which started out you know made for Rocky Three and then ended up being a monument in the city that was really the way I entered into the film series
2: so, so about that, I, obviously, yes, the statue is in Rocky III, uh, a, a f- fabulous scene where Rocky gets pissed at it's his amazing. own statue, and he throws his uh, motorcycle helmet at it. Uh, he's really pissed. And it's a beautiful statue. But tell us about the, what happened here after the film ended, why they decided to keep the statue. Was there a discussion there that they always were going to keep the statue, or how'd that come about?
3: Yeah, I have to say it's like a, such a fascinating moment. It's in one, on one hand, it's actually the way a lot of statues come into this world, which is um, someone says it should be here and they leave it. And so what you have is, you know, for just even just thinking about this film, Rocky Three, Stallone is not only the star, but he's also the director. And he made a choice for the statue um, to appear, it's not made of styrofoam or of wood. He worked with the artist A. Thomas Schomburg to render the Rocky statue in bronze. So while it was made as a, a prop, so to speak, it, it it's, was interchangeable with any number of bronze statues in the city. I think in a kind of, um, let's say a power move, Stallone and the team at the studio left the statue at the top of the steps. And, you know, because the series is all about art and life blurring, it immediately became beloved by people who were um, kind of in the footsteps of the Rocky film series, but the art museum next to it um, was not really keen on the idea. So you have this kind of back and forth between the, the city of Philadelphia, between Stallone who donated the statue, um, the gift that no one asked for, Um, And the museum, and I think what's so fascinating that we learned through the Statue podcast was, you know, Stallone is an artist. He has um, a practice of being an artist and seeing the way that art is a way to navigate the world. And I think that it actually was the ultimate way to open up the museum and create this powerful dynamic. Over the years, that statue moved from various places. It went down to the stadiums in South Philly, um, of course, where famous scenes from the Rocky series took place at an old um, uh, arena, the spectrum that's since been demolished. Mm-hmm. Um, it got moved back to the art museum for the uh, party for Rocky Three's premiere, which happened at the art museum for um, scenes and other movies. Of course, Rocky Five um, it returns. Um, And it wasn't until 2006 that an agreement, that's maybe not even the right way to put it, a big public debate that ultimately led to an agreement to have the statue dedicated, not back at the top of the steps where it appeared in the film series, but at the bottom of the steps was brokered. And so since 2006, the statue has been there. It attracts over 4 million visitors a year, which is Statue of Liberty numbers. Wow. And is, you know, again part of the story that has um kind of bobbed and weaved through the city, so to speak, um and is back in the place that made it famous and um you know is part of the legend.
2: It's awesome. You know, I was listening to the your podcast and, and on there on the, the Statue Podcast, you play a voicemail from Sylvester Stallone where he's talking about you know, various things, but at the end of the podcast he talks about why the steps and why people run up the steps and make this uh, pilgrimage to Philadelphia. And and I thought he made an excellent point. He said, it's, it's not like you can use the force or real lightsabers out of uh, Star Wars or, you know, go to places a lot of times in the movies, but the steps in Philadelphia are real. And it's something that you can see this character Rocky do accomplish something. And it's something that you can do in real life. I'm a Chicagoan. I've only been to Philadelphia one time, and I've told this story on Cinema John, probably Rocky 6 and Creed 1 and 2, but I I stopped at a visitor center, Paul, I I crap you not here. I said, uh, where's the Liberty Bell and where are the Rocky Steps? That's all I want to see in Philadelphia are those two things, and really not in that order. I want the Rocky Steps first, and then if I have time, I'll check out the Liberty Bell but I had to see the the, the Rocky steps, and I'm sure it, it's it's that way for a lot of movie fans.
3: Uh, it's that way for a lot of movie fans. It's just that way, I would say, for many visitors. You know, my um, earliest memory of of Rocky was when um, you know I I was I, I was still like before elementary school, and my older brother um, had a French Canadian exchange student, Marty Baril and he he arrived to the city and and you know our family asked where do you want to visit do you want to go to the liberty bell do you want to go to independence hall and you know this you know was a time in the late 80s and he was like i want to go to the rocky steps wow um my mom um who was a big inspiration behind the series um she's interviewed in episode one she makes a great cameo found this polaroid that we took when we visited with my brother and um, you know um, Marty, the exchange student, like doing kind of a muscle pose. And I'm kind of like sliding in almost photo bombing, which I, I didn't even remember that moment. Um, but I, I share that because you're not you're not alone that people come here. I will tell you when I've gone and done reporting for the series, like you'll bump into people who are, you know, from various neighborhoods in Philadelphia, but I have met people who've come from Kuwait to just, I said, why are you here? And they said, I'm here to see the Rocky statue and run up the steps. Um, People from Mexico city, people from all over. And I think that, you know, it's a pilgrimage site and there's something about the steps and the dynamic with the art museum behind it. You know, we call it the ultimate people's pedestal. Like this is a spot where as a city, like we had our Super Bowl parade. It's also a place where important protests against um, racial injustice happen, where there are vigils for people slain in the um, murder crisis. And if you go almost any day of the year, there are people going there. It's where you go to see the city and also to be seen. And it's true for people who live here and people who visit from all over the world.
0: That's beautiful, man. That is There's nothing like a, a a love letter to, to a city, you know? Profoundly
3: profoundly. And I think, you know, this dynamic, like something that we try to bring out in the, in the podcast that, you know, one um, this is not the Rocky statue is not the first artwork involving a boxer. Like you can look at um, antiquity and see examples of like classical sculptures. You think about Andy Warhol, Keith Haring, um, Jean-Michel Basquiat, um, that's part of the boxing history. Um, but even then I think about like what Stallone as an artist, as the creator of the series tapped into, um, but also what he drew from and he's, you know, Rocky character is not the first boxer in real life or in, um, in the movie world to run up the steps. Joe Frazier, real life heavyweight champion, um, is someone who is known for running up the steps and punching meat before the character Rocky did it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's all these important narratives and, and it also kind of brings up the questions of like what history do we remember and what history doesn't get elevated and spotlighted in the same way.
2: We we were celebrating Sylvester Stallone here. We we pick a different theme every month. This this month is Willem Dafoe month, but we oh, were great. celebrating Sylvester Stallone, and we did a, a interesting fact about it. The time he runs up the steps is one of the first times that they use Steadicam.
3: And, it, it's, and the fir- it's, the first it's the first major yeah. use of it. You and
2: it, I, even that, it, it's mind-boggling because, I mean, I watched that, that scene so many times growing up. It's, it's definitely a movie yeah. and a, a moment in the movie Seared that made, made me love— Love film, right? Seared. And and yeah. And yeah, and it, you watch that and you're like, wow, everything that just worked, it's the perfect time, the perfect actor, the perfect technique, and, and magic happens. That's what happens sometimes with movies, you know?
3: Yeah, so I, I just think like it's worth kind of pausing on that. Like when we talk to historians in the series and we said, like, why is the Rocky statue and the Rocky story so, so iconic? They say step one is the steady cam. So you have Garrett Brown, the inventor of the steady cam who had um, before he got involved with the, the Rocky series, had been testing this, you know, we're so used to now we can have a, a make a film with whatever devices in our pockets and move with it and it stabilized, but it was really difficult to be able to move with a, um, someone um, in motion. He had Garrett Brown had done a test with his wife around different places in the Philadelphia area, and the Art Museum steps was one of them. Of course, there's this. Um, history of the art museum steps and Joe Frazier and boxers running up it. Um, but there's that, that what you said, um, what you said, Matt, that this idea that that scene has been seared into our minds. I feel like we feel it in our bodies. Like mm. you feel like you're flying along with, and I'll tell you just a quick story last summer when we were, were reporting for the podcast, we went to a screening at the art museum steps of Rocky one. And, you know, it was great. There was like a good, like, trivia right before it and dancers. When you got to the film, people were excited. But the biggest um, applause happened at the moment of Rocky running up the steps. It wasn't during the fight scenes. It was the steps. I will tell you, we went to Rocky the musical. And the biggest cheering is when he runs up the steps on stage, (laughs) even though there were only like a dozen of them. So there is just something about what the steady cam offered our eyes and our bodies that made you feel like you were kind of flying alongside Rocky. And, and now that that same inventor of the steady cam, he invented the camera that goes over football games that you can really kind of go in. Or if you think about the Olympic um divers and you can like follow along. So that those are ways that this is is about movies and film but it's even bigger than that it's about how we see motion and movement and and get right pulled alongside it
2: and and we should mention well the am, amazing score that accompanies these brilliant visuals right because i think that adds to it too and and we'll get to that on creed Three, because I I think it was lacking there, but we'll talk about that.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, great.
2: (laughs) For sure. For jawheads that want to listen uh, more about the Rocky statue, check out your podcast. Where should we send them?
3: Yeah, so the statue is um, put out by WHYY and the NPR Podcast Network, and you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. NPR One, Spotify, Apple. Um, It's called The Statue.
0: And as always, we'll throw a link in the show notes for everybody to... Grab a handy
2: shortcut to it, Paul. Throwing you on the spot here, we are celebrating Willem Dafoe this month. Do you have a favorite Willem Dafoe performance that you can whip off the top of your head here?
3: I'm, I'm, uh, is a maybe a, a um, not as much of a deep cut, but um, I love him in Spider Man.
2: No, that's that is a great. That, one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's fantastic,
2: and he reprised he
0: that role recently in uh, No Way Home, which was also a great performance.
2: Good pick for sure. Paul Farber is going to be sitting in on this entire jaw. He has uh, seen Creed Three inside the the city of Philadelphia, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Amazing. Um, and what well, that was like. Yeah, I, I just it. I just
3: got back twenty minutes ago, so I, it's, um, it's... I still have the popcorn um like smell on me (laughs) yeah yeah uh, yeah, i haven't i didn't even go to floss i came right here to cinema john
0: we appreciate it
2: fantastic you know back in 2015 the rocky franchise which at the time seemed to be done came storming back with new blood in the way of michael b jordan he played apollo creed's son who rocky would end up training The film was a huge success with fans and critics. In fact, it garnered an Academy Award nomination for Sylvester Stallone. With this kind of success for Creed, it can only mean another mm, five or so films in the series. Creed 2 came out in 2018, and now we have Creed 3. This film marks the first time Sylvester Stallone does not appear in the series. Will he be missed, or will Creed 3 be another knockout? Matt Kay, Paul, and I stepped into the ring to find out.
1: When Dame came back, the past came back too.
4: There may have been a time when Damien had your back. No friends in the industry. But that's not what he's doing now. My brother's been my brother's me. They no kidding me a fat. Before I got locked up, I was the best. You a coward, bro. And a fraud. Try spending half your life in a cell. Watching somebody else live your life. I
1: had to draw the I'm just getting started, little brother. I had to draw the between my brothers
2: and my enemies.
1: I'm coming for it all. He's not gonna stop.
2: Then you make him. The good thing about reviewing a Rocky or Creed movie is that you don't have to spend too much time on the plot as the formula stays the same in every film, with minor tweaks along the way. This time, we get a flashback to a younger Adonis Creed hanging out with his best friend Damien, better known as Dame, played by Jonathan Majors. In the flashback, we get a fight, a crime, and some vagueness. We learn that Dame took a fall for Creed. Now, back in present day, Dame is back in the picture and looking for help. But the truth is, he's out for revenge. This leads us to the big fight at the end, which we have now seen nine times. Funny thing is, I was still invested in the action in the ring. They gave me just enough to care about the result. Michael B. Jordan directs the film as well as stars in it. He brought some nice flourishes to the fight scenes. We get some slow-mo at one point to heighten the impact of the blows, and one real nice touch sees the boxers at one moment in the ring in front of a cheering crowd and then slowly disappear into a setting that is just the two boxers by themselves fighting in the ring in what I would almost call a dreamlike state. Let's start with the basic question here. Did Creed 3 win you over? We'll start with Matt Kay.
0: Mostly, yeah. Mostly, yeah. I was really confused about how I felt about the movie What when I was walking out. But I ultimately decided that it's a good movie. Incredibly predictable and formulaic. But you know what? It's like a Pop-Tart. You put a Pop-Tart <laughs> in the toaster and there's no ambiguity. We know what's going to happen. There's no subtlety there's no variation in what comes out of the toaster and it's a pretty simple process but god damn it i love a good pop tart so that's exactly how i feel about creed 3. this is a a kind of a a schmaltzy saccharin sequel that that follows all the same beats but it's got some great acting in it believe it or not
2: and god damn it it's a good formula so i liked it paul your initial take on creed 3.
3: Yeah, I have, a, I have a different pop take. I would say Popcorn. Um, it's a great popcorn film. Like, it is made for a big screen. It's actually the first film I've seen back in a the theater since the pandemic. Oh, wow. And um, I, 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 I'm really grateful that I saw this on the big screen. I think what I got out of this, of course, there is a formula that the Rocky series has. But I, I actually think it nuanced it a bit and it nuanced it by morphing kind of who is the underdog and um, what does that mean at different moments. I, I actually think, you know, there's was, yeah, this is the first um, it, first movie in the Rocky la- large series, the Rockyverse, that Sylvester Stallone doesn't appear in, though his name does come in with a, a production credit. I'm not sure exactly what his role was. I was thinking about one of uh, an interview that he gave a few months ago where he talked about his, he said, a regretful situation um, not being in this film and saying that, you know, that this, this film um, went into a dark space. Like it was as hinting at some of the themes that come up here, which are about trauma and pain. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say actually a lot of the Rocky series hovers around trauma and pain, but you don't always get to go inside people, um, the characters' heads, and really understand that. And and I don't know. I, I felt in this in this film um, that there was enough eye candy in terms of, of utilizing um, new and novel shots from the series, but also really allowed I don't know some some emotional space that actually was only only made the boxing scenes that much more exciting.
2: What well, I,
0: now I feel to feel bad about my pop tart comment.
3: <laughs> I love pop tarts. I do too. Strawberry glazed.
0: Yeah. I go s'mores myself.
3: Oh, that's a good. That's my second choice.
2: So, Jonathan Majors is the opponent in this one, and and yeah. Jonathan Majors has blown up on the scene. If we weren't going to do our our top five favorite boss battles, which we're doing tonight, my other suggestion to Matt was uh, actors or actresses who've blown up on the scene so quickly. Like Jonathan Major has. I mean, the guy comes out in in 2017, just six years ago, with like a small movie, you know, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And now he's Mr. A-list in every big movie that's coming out right now. I thought Jonathan Majors was fantastic here. Me and Matt, I know when we walked out, we talked about it. He's one of those rare few that doesn't have to do much and can convey a ton with just his facial expressions. Oh, man. um, Just his presence on screen. I, I was a huge fan of Jonathan Majors here. I, I know you were as well, right, Matt? My God. I could sit and watch Jonathan Majors
0: just make faces. Uh, I think my com- <laughs> my comment is like, he's like, not since Jim Carrey have we seen such control over one's face. And of course, Carrey used it to comedic effect and Majors uses it for, for dramatic effect. But man, I could watch his face for two hours. He's that good. And then his presence, his gravity, he he's just sucks me in every time. I loved The Last Black Man in San Francisco because of him. Yeah. And that was my favorite movie of of that year, of twenty seventeen. And I've I've been championing him for a long time and I'm so happy to see him pop him because I think he is phenomenal. He steals yeah. the show from Michael B. Jordan, which is kind of saying a lot, really. That's yeah, that's a tall order. I,
3: I, I, I agree with you on that. And, you know, you were talking about his his facial reactions. Um, we're just about, you know, a, a week or so past the dunk contest um, for the NBA all-star game and Jonathan Majors probably as like creed promotion was um, at the side of the court and like became a meme just the way his face reacted um, to the dunk contest. So I was thinking about that, but, you know, as you said that, I mean, he had he had um, these registers of um, vengeance, pain, um, control, um, and also vulnerability. Mm. Um, it just all went together,
2: no doubt. One thing that I, I liked that was a nice touch is, for the most part, throughout the Rocky series, the the fights take place in a, in a, a forum or you know an arena that is uh, kind of unremarkable. It's you know. CGI crowd nowadays but still I liked that they put the fight in Dodger Stadium out in LA that <laughs> was that was pretty pretty cool. Cool. That, that was, was awesome wasn't it I, I thought that was a, a great touch to do it inside in, you know a, a baseball stadium because that is something nowadays we would make like a huge spectacle of an event you know if you know Mike Tyson right. was fighting you know somebody or something you know what I'm saying
0: right stick it in Wrigley Field for sure. Yeah.
2: Well, I that
3: mean, was Ryan, a real nice touch. Brian, you made a point, and it, it's a little bit of, of a spoiler, but I just think it it, it really, it, to me, crystallized what, what ultimately compelled me about this movie is um, you're in the midst of the stadium. There's fanfare. There is, like, fireworks. The mm-hmm. cinematography is really powerful. And then all of a sudden, the inner demons that each of... Um, the opponents have, and then their own, like, both animosity and care for each other. Like, it's like they fl- they flip a switch, and they're fighting each other and fighting themselves. And um, it w- there was an elegance to it. And so you get these moments of, like, the stadium being filled, and then it boils down to ultimately what it means to face your own fears, limits, and then overcome them
0: let's talk about what the movie is missing because it's, it's missing, it's missing a few things. I know Ryan wants to talk about the music, but it's also missing as, as much as I appreciate uh, some of the depth you, you pointed out to me, Paul, in terms of uh, the social commentary and the, the subtleties in the ring and everything like that, there are some very predictable moments in the movie. It, it's not exactly going to catch you off guard.
3: Yeah, I I will I I'm I don't want to spoil too much, but there would be a few moments where like there would be one clue, and I would I would talk to my friend um, Andre, who's a, a radio producer and a filmmaker, and I was like, I know it's gonna happen, and, yes, then it, and it would happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I I think that you know it's interesting when you bring up the music. There are, I like, I think one or two moments where I could hear the. Kind of like a a, a stem or a, or like a, a small moment of Bill Conti's um, original score, um, and and I just wonder why that like why not lean into that a little bit more? But yeah, there are moments here that you know like you have to kind of take a leap. Like you're I'm in I'm in this popcorn big hit, and I'm gonna follow where they're going. Um, but yeah, my, there are moments you take- suspend that.
2: My take on on the music missing is i I think it probably would have felt to Michael B. Jordan. I, I think he made the decision that if if Sylvester Stallone's not going to be in this movie and we we might take this, let's be honest. We might get another three creeds, right? We we saw Rocky go six deep. So you never know how far is creed's his daughter go. <laughs>
3: going to be a star in a future creed? Oh, right. I hope so.
2: Possibly. That's what so,
3: I, I that's my prediction.
2: So I think at some point they gotta leave the music, the iconic music that that really you know embodied. Rocky, the character, Uh, uh, and yes, it was in the Creed. It was probably the best moment in Creed, the first one that came up when they played the music. It's the emotional beat of the film is when that music finally plays. But I think he's thinking long-term, hey, that was Rocky's music. Stallone's not in this movie anymore. What's not play that as the big theme anymore
0: well didn't you have a theory that it was also about the studio switch ryan
2: yeah because i i don't know positive on that but that was a a theory of mine also because this is not done by mgm right it's a it's a different studio so maybe that has something to do with it the rights to the music could be as simple as that
3: i want to talk about something big that's missing go for it philly philadelphia is just not here and um You know, I want to lodge an official complaint with whoever I can on that. No, but I think, you know, I was thinking about as you're talking about music, one of the most compelling things. um, And, you know, maybe this is said with a full Philly bias um, is in Creed One. You have the elements of the original soundtrack and you have Meek Mill as like one of the most dynamic um, hip hop stars and, and Philly's own. And like you have this kind of marriage of um, this like triumphal, intense, orchestral music, like with Meek Mill featuring Swizz beats. What I I took away from Creed Three, which is all L.A., like they've replaced the Art Museum steps with um, the Hollywood you sign. You know, with the Hollywood sign, and um, you know, like the the if you go where 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 they're um, you know where Creed is ascending for his training like if you go today you'll bump into reality stars and and others who like train in the same place but there was this battle for la and they open the film with um you know dr dre's um the watcher and then they interpolate it later i believe j cole but it's kind of like there's a bit of la music but it's not committed to it it's just kind of um there, so I, again you know i have the philly bias i was waiting for a philly reference um we didn't get it um, yeah. i'll live but i do think like the texture of the place like it was jarring to see the I, I, like dodger stadium sold me but the calling it the battle of la i felt like that was really underdeveloped like there was so much there that could have been pulled out if um it went deeper but you know there were so, there were moments of it, so I don't want to say it was totally missing, but I, I, that was something I really wanted to see more of as a conversation with the city.
0: Yeah, not gonna lie, I I missed that as well for sure. But you know, so it was fun nonetheless.
2: That's really right. really quick, Paul. Where would you rank this? I don't need the exact number, but uh, in, in the Rocky series, where would this fall? I I, I wrote down I wanna hear somewhere take, somewhere between. Uh, it's the back half, but I'm not saying it's, it's the, like a terrible movie, but I think it's somewhere between like four through nine. It, it didn't crack my top three, uh, Creed slash Rocky movies. How about you?
3: Yeah. I, I think that this, um,
2: maybe like four through six or somewhere around there. Yeah.
3: It, it, I, I guess like I, I went in, I don't, I don't think it, for me, it was better than Creed one, but I really, it didn't peter out. Like it, it gave new life to the series and, and I'm excited for what potential new directions there are.
2: Matt, do you get a jaw dropping moment here or something we haven't highlighted yet?
0: Uh, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I don't think anybody who is going to Creed three doesn't think that Creed is going to get into the ring. Um, <laughs> when that moment happens, I just remember like that was the moment I was like, oh my God, I I was a little like, I don't know how to feel about this is it's so silly and predictable. My jaw was on the floor. I was like, come on. But ultimately, it kind of won me over.
2: My jaw-dropping moment was that uh, uh, Creed—sorry, yeah, Adonis Creed is in his basement, his man cave, and he has all this memorabilia up. He's got uh, jerseys of Kobe Bryant. He's got jerseys of Shaq. He's got all these pictures up of Apollo Creed. You're telling me he wouldn't have something from Rocky? We wouldn't see uh, some sort of memorabilia of actual— Rocky Belboa. I didn't anything
0: of
3: disbelief. Rocky's name does come up a few times, right? Like they're talking about really in the whenever they talk about an underdog, Rocky's there, but it's in the context of a do, of, of Apollo Creed giving Rocky a shot. Um, yeah, I, I'm surprised by that. I have to say, like a jaw dropping moment for me. It's not even the most compelling one, but um, in you know one of these you it, like like you know um, matt you said like you know that creed's gonna get back in the ring and come out of retirement um so he's in his training mode and he like pulls a plane with like yeah. he, like like not a car not a truck but a plane <laughs> yes. and i just like it kind of like um laughed out loud <laughs> lol for real in the theater because it was just the way it happened like there was everything else made so like made more sense in the montage and that was just like a I didn't know what it was doing there, but it, it was effective because it, it it struck me out of my um, haze and it made me more aware of what was going on.
2: That's good stuff. But, yeah, I, he, he needs to show some love to Rocky Balboa in that man cave. I mean, Rocky ended the Cold War, uh, you know, heavyweight <laughs> champion numerous times. Put put up a picture of the guy somewhere in the basement. He had a little
0: picture of him on the desk. It was a small <laughs> one.
2: Movie poster quote, Matt. Uh,
0: Creed... Creed 3 is a familiar
2: combo, but it still lands. Ooh, I went with... I like that. It worked eight times already. Just give us your money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they should put that on the DVD for sure. How many Jaws are you giving this thing, Ryan?
2: We're on a four-jaw scale here, Paul. I went two and a half Jaws for Creed. Two and a half, I'm recommending.
0: That's where I landed as well. Two and a half Jaws. This is a popcorn movie. Get out there, have some fun, watch Creed 3. I think you'll enjoy it. How about you, Paul? Paul?
3: You know, I, I I I don't know if I can do in between jaws, but I, I I'm either two and Tree a care. half or three. Um, you,
2: you can dust I, off I the a, quarter jaw, two point yeah, seven five. Yeah,
3: can I do a two point seven five? Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, we'll I have it. a I have a recency bias. I really just was in the theater, but you know, again, and I felt like it it ended on a strong note, and I'm excited to see how it will kind of live in the culture as well.
2: Bit up. Two and a half Jaws for Rye the Movie Guy and Matt K. 2.75. It would have been three, but there wasn't enough Philly in there for Paul. But he That's lands right. at 2.75. That brings us to our top five, which is boss battles. These are uh, final confrontations. Movies where one person we know is going to fight the other person at the end of the movie or darn near, near the end of the film. Matt, you want to kick us off this week? Sure.
0: I'll get us started. Uh, at number five. I have the final confrontation of Bruce Leroy against the Shogun of Harlem, Shonuff, in the masterpiece, the Kung Fu uh, 80s pop masterpiece, The Last Dragon.
2: Nice. <laughs> And we, I,
0: we, I forced Ryan to watch this movie, Paul. Uh, I don't remember why. We were just doing
2: a retro review. I forget. But yeah, this was only maybe a year ago, two t- two years ago tops.
0: I grew up with The Last Dragon. I rewatched it for this retro review. Thought it still hold up, held up amazing. Um, and when he is holding the, sh- the the Shogun of Harlem, who's been this this Darth Vader type character, like unbeatable is holding Leroy's head in this bucket of water. And we think he's going to drown him. And he keeps getting trying to get him to say, who's the master, who's the master. And finally Bruce Leroy comes up and he says me. And then he proceeds to kick his ass. That's a triumphant moment. It's, it's one that always stuck with me, man. I I love that movie. Love that scene. It's a good one. My number five. That's great.
2: I like kicking it off this way. I should mention Jawheads that uh Paul has decided to do all five Rocky boss battles. Rocky verse, so, yeah. Rocky verse. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna go next and we're gonna let Paul finish the round because it'll always finish with a Rocky uh fight. Sound good? I like Sounds that good. I like that. So my number five pick, if I told you it was Josh versus Jonathan, it would mean nothing to you. But jawheads who are fans of the Queen's Gambit. Go back and watch the 1993 film Searching for Bobby Fischer. Nice. And in it, we have Josh, who is a seven-year-old kid, becomes obsessed with chess. He sees these uh, guys playing, one of them being Larry Fishburne, out in the park, and he becomes obsessed uh, with chess and all things uh, to do with it. He learns, one of his teachers is Ben Kingsley. It's a great cast in this movie. Uh, Laura Linney also is in there. And they train this guy. And he is uh, intimidated by Jonathan, who is also a child prodigy. And this is all leading up to this uh, chess championship. And they face each other. And they face off for um, the championship. And one thing that I love in all boss battles is when the underdog, in this case, Josh, uh, does something different, much like Rocky and Rocky Two, Rocky was a southpaw, if you'll remember, but in Rocky Two, he starts fighting right-handed, which threw off Apollo Creed. You could see rounds one through seven, Apollo didn't know what was going on. Then he switches back to being a southpaw. In this case, Josh goes to street chess, which was what Larry Fishburne was teaching him. And he starts doing some moves that you wouldn't play like traditional uh, chess kind of moves. And it looks, it looks bad for him, but it also helps him in another way. And my favorite scene of it is uh, I rewatched it today. Right at one moment, Ben Kingsley realizes Josh can win. And he's like, He's got him in 12 moves. This narration goes over and it's Kingsley talking. He's like, he's got him in 12 moves. Bishop here, blah, blah, blah. And it's zooming in on Josh's face as he's seeing it all on the board. Fantastic little movie. Searching for Bobby Fisher. True story, if I'm not mistaken. That hmm. was that was my number five. What do we got in the Rocky universe here, Paul?
3: Yeah, you know, I I um I was tempted to like. You know do rocky versus the steps rocky versus raw eggs um but i'm gonna go purely when there's two people together so my number five is rocky balboa versus clubber lang um otherwise known as mr t Mm -hmm. Um, and of course you know that's rocky three this is the introduction of the statue the rocky statue so you know i'm a little partial to it but just from that moment um at the art museum steps where um, Kleber Lang says, "Give him the guts, um, you know, <laughs> rather than give him a statue." Um, I, I think of that as you know one of the the top five um, boss battles, and you know there's 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 mystery behind the Kleber Lang.
2: I, I love it. I love it. Because that that's a worthy number five. He definitely had to be mentioned. From I Chicago, Clubber pi- I, I, I pity the that's fool right. who
0: wouldn't have that at number five, frankly.
2: <laughs> that was our connection to uh, the Rocky universe, was Clubber Lang from connect, Chicago. It's all connected.
0: <laughs> I, I actually used to be a doorman at a bar across the street from the place that uh, Mr. T was the doorman, like famously. <laughs> um, Is that
3: one degree of separation?
0: I think so. Maybe even yeah, like one, a half a degree. 1.75. Yeah, okay. pe- people would stop and ask me, hey, which place did Mr. T used to work at? I'm like, right here, oh, sure. come on in. Yeah,
2: I'm sure that's what they used Make to a muscle. Say. Oh,
0: no, right I'm way. serious, Rye, they did. People would, like, I when I was a doorman on Division Street, people would stop and say, which place did Mr. T work at? And I would always say, right here, come on in. That was my line. Seriously, happened almost every weekend. All right, swinging it to my number five. I'm sorry, swinging it to my number four. I am going with the Ghostbusters, Versus Gozer the Gozerian. That's that's a great answer. <laughs> slash the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man in the ultimate scene of Ghostbusters. The 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 classic classic movie, one of the best boss battles of all of all time. Because I think one of the things that that makes a great boss battle are waves or you can call them phases right like you 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 first knock the armor off the boss and then it it shapeshifts into something else or brings out a new weapon or a new technique that you now have to defeat that phase of it it happened in creed 3 as well and and here gozer is first fighting as this female kind of demon type creature and then she transforms into the destructor uh, in the form of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. It, beyond hilarious, the special effects, I think, are still pretty damn good to this day, especially some of the flames and stuff. They did a great job on the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man.
2: It's a fun scene, man. Just rewatch
0: Ghostbusters.
2: It's it worth it. It is a fun one. It is a fun one. My number four is actually more about the journey to get to the boss battle and sometimes that lead up to it uh if they're actually even going to get to the boss battle is part of the excitement and that happened when Hugh Glass took on John Fitzgerald in the Revenant 2015 Mm. um after being left for dead mauled by a bear and seeing his son killed by Fitzgerald Glass played by Leonardo DiCaprio basically crawls his way through a wintry terrain to get his revenge. And I mean, that's the entire movie, is him crawling around and trying to get back to find this Fitzgerald. And he eventually does. Fitzgerald is played by Tom Hardy. And they eventually meet outside the fort. And again, it's this like sort of like great landscape, large scope. And yet it's just two men trying to fight each other, um, one looking for revenge. And it, it's just... In a wonderful moment of, of peaking at the right time, he, he eventually the fight takes place hand to hand combat. And, um, well, let's just say Hugh Glass ends up letting him go because he sees he's gonna get his uh, he's gonna get his death a, a different way. It's 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 wonderful, it's
0: brutal, is what it is. That whole it, movie it, is, is absolutely brutal in every way the weather, obviously, the animals, the human beings, brutality. For, for two and a half hours.
2: It, it's one of those, like, you, you always hear these stories, like, oh, the actor had to do all this to make the movie. And a lot of times you're like, ah, oh, whatever, come on, it's making a movie. This one, when you're watching it, has that feeling like, oh, my God, they went through hell to make this damn movie. In all these locations and, and crawling around the ground and in the rivers and being mauled by bears. It just looked like a rough <laughs> filming, you know? I, I got to so. rewatch The Revenant, man. What do we got number four in the Rocky verse Paul?
3: Okay. So I'm going outside the ring. I'm going to Rocky Five. And oh, it is no. the
2: fight. Oh no.
3: Yeah, yes, that's right. It's the fight between Rocky Balboa and Tommy Gunn.
2: The street and
3: fight. The street fight. And why don't you
2: try knocking me down?
3: Exactly. Was that a sound effect or was that no? <laughs> that was okay. me. That okay, was that me. was right. Okay. So um you know, it just it sticks out to me um for a few reasons. One is, you know, you get this char- the character arc across the franchise at various points, but but as it goes forward of, like, Rocky is both someone who gets trained as a, as a pupil and also a coach and a teacher. And so you have the figure Tommy Gunn shows up in Philly from, uh, I believe, Oklahoma and, you know, wants to be trained. And then you have this moment of betrayal. And so there's this kind of... Um, you know, I don't know, like a mentor-mentee energy going on or or even perhaps a kind of father-son dynamic. And so the kind of, there's like a violation of trust of like the, of the code. And um, it feels like Rocky is reluctant to fight, but is compelled to fight. Um, so it just, it, it always sticks out to me. Um, I remember reading somewhere that like there was a take on the script that um, Rocky Balboa was going to die in in like the first draft or or so of the of the script, and they they changed it. It wasn't the the right ending, and I feel like the ending. I don't know. It was one of those moments where you like you like uh, you can imagine like the movie theater cheering for what they've um, done a straw poll unofficially of like who they want to cheer for and who they want to <laughs> boo for, um, and then like what I also love is like right after that scene, you know um rocky and his son are back at the art museum they have reinstalled the statue mm. and the contrast to it is that you know rocky um kind of comes to terms with his statue there and looks at the art museum and says like oh i think they're what what do they have in that place like a bunch of picassos it's like the jedi mind trick considering how much sylvester stallone absolutely loves art and his goal is to." be a part of the the tradition in the museum but I love that contrast of like all the interesting things that happen not just in the ring but out in the streets of philly
2: wow it it is my least favorite rocky film so I'm shocked that it appeared on a <clears throat> list here Paul but I, i'll oh, I'm, just I'm take your talk, word for yeah. it
3: to be clear I will make no rankings of it in the series because I think <laughs> I might have to <laughs> may have to rank it lower but I, I that scene just sticks out to me for, for what right. I
2: to Somehow Rocky Five made a top five list. We've been doing this show for... That's for okay. ...600 I, episodes now, Matt. 600. And, uh, it's the, it's the wow. first time we got a Rocky Five reference on a top five. Into our threes we go. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, at number three, I am going with
0: Eowyn versus the Witch King of Angmar in the final episode of The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. This is the... Leader of the Nazgul. Now, I, this is technically technically a mini boss, but I think if you if you think about it, the the Nazgul or the Wraiths are really the physical embodiment of Sauron throughout the entire series. Like Frodo and the and the other hobbits encounter them on the road, like thirty minutes into the first movie, and they are the ones pursuing Frodo for the most part throughout. So you'll have to forgive me because it's just a badass scene. And like Sauron, his fatal mistake is underestimating a hobbit because Pippin comes up and stabs him in the leg, which gives Eowyn the opening uh with her famous line, because he he utters the 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 line, No I'm the witch king, no man can can kill me. And she says, I'm no man after she takes off her helmet, lets her hair go, boom, right in the face with a sword. The the armor crumples like a tin can and contorts. Such a cool demise for such an evil character that even Gandalf was afraid of, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. My my only problem with it is it's a very quick fight. Like, there's a lot going on in that scene. And oh, then that's like a quick. What are you saying? It's a quick fight. The whole movie, that, the battle of. of I'm saying. Be, Minas Tirith, between Those dude, two characters, those two characters is maybe 30 seconds. Their engagement is short, but it is consequential. So. It is. My number three pick. A film I have talked about uh, a lot. Matt loves when I talk about this movie, but I don't get to enough to talk about this particular scene, and it's my favorite moment in the movie. Horse racing, Matt, and you know how much I love Sea Biscuit. Sea versus War Admiral is incredible, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> oh boy,
2: Sea Biscuit. Now this is a true story based on a true story. It's a C-Biscuit, race. That's not a
0: boss battle,
2: dude. I, I love your. Ra-
0: I love your range.
2: Guys, so there I, we go.
3: I, I, I'm I'm here for this.
2: Okay, so Seabiscuit First War Admiral was billed at the time of the race of the century. The race drew a, a radio audience of over 40 million people back in 1938. And one of my favorite parts of this is as they lead into the race, the narrator in the film comes on and talks about uh, how many people were in attendance, how businesses had to close early, uh, how many hot dogs were sold? It, it it really adds to the the flavor of the moment. And then the race takes place. And what what's so unique about this particular, I'm using the the phrase here, Matt, boss battle, is there's no other horses on the race except these two. and they they start off with just a bell ringing. So they're not in a gate. They're just standing there. The bell rings, and the two horses go. And there's the little thing about it is that Seabiscuit will only his like superpower, if you will, is he needs to be behind at the end of the race. And he needs to sort of smell and feel the other horse um, and and he'll overcome him. Um, but he starts off good and maybe he could win the thing. But the jockey pulls back to let War Admiral take the lead. And and he even whispers, he's like, I'm, I'm ho- I hope they're right about this. And Toby McGuire is in the hospital at this point. Jeff Bridges is the owner of the horse. Elizabeth Banks is in this, and they're all watching. And they're saying like, "Take it easy, take it easy," because they know Sea Biscuit's going to get that uh, adrenaline at the right time. And then they oh, wait Jesus. until that last turn. And then I, I mean, I get chills when I watch this. I, I've seen it numerous times. I still get chills when they say, "Let him loose," and he goes, and the music kicks in, and Sea Biscuit takes off. Oh, I get tears in my eyes.
0: Dude, maybe you should have been a cowboy or something, you know? Maybe you missed your calling.
2: Yeah. biscuit. Get involved, Matt.
0: I don't know. Maybe.
2: I know that Rocky Five doesn't have another fight in it. So I know we're done with Rocky Five. Where do we go with number three, Paul?
3: Okay. So, um, in honor of that number three, I'm bringing Creed three because Adonis Creed and um, Dim- Diamond Damian Anderson. Um, in Dodger Stadium, I think um, that that this um, fight, the 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 boss battle nature of it, is of course all of the fireworks and um, the the intense energy. But it is also this moment where they realize they're fighting each other and themselves. And um, there's something that happens in this fight. You know in part due to the IMAX technology but also to the storyline that um you get a glimpse into the inner psyche of each of these characters and their shared lives and so you know for all of the hoopla and also all of that like the window into the soul yes i said window into the soul for the boss <laughs> battle section i'm putting creed 3 adonis creed and uh, Damian Anderson in the battle for LA and LA Dodgers Stadium.
2: Nice, nice, wow! Hot off the press, and it's it's in his top five. I love it. Bold move. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, it,
3: it's a hot take, but that was number three, so I went with Creed three.
0: The thing is, you really can't knock it because that was a phenomenal fight scene, and it's got two of the best actors working today,
2: and in my opinion, maybe one of the very best. So, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Michael B. Jordan being one of the best. I mean, I, I like B. the guys, but, but again, you overstated all, all these things too much. Let me, let me do the best draws. actors working today. I don't think that's
0: much here. of an overstatement, but slow I'll pull it, it back a little and say two of the biggest draws. Can we agree to that? One no, at least? I
2: wouldn't think that either. I think a lot oh, of people are, are still about? getting to know Jonathan Majors. He's not a major draw yet, but all right, go on. Okay. One of the greatest actors
0: your, your, and one of the greatest draws. Better
2: rye? Is that good? Okay. All I like right. it. We'll, we'll, we'll give that an exception. Jeez. All right.
0: All right. <laughs> Into our number twos. Oh, we're going to L- Let's take here. a break.
2: Yeah. Let's take a break here. Okay. And when we come back, we'll finish our top twos plus play some movie trivia. Stick with us, Jawheads. Let's, let's...
4: let's, let's all go to the
0: lobby. Sometimes you just need more Willem Dafoe. And that's what we got in the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man as the fragile psyche of Norman Osborn fractures into the demented Green Goblin.
4: Somebody there? Somebody. Who said that? Don't play the innocent with me. You've known all along. Where are you? Follow the cold shiver running down your spine. I'm right here. I don't understand. Did you think it was coincidence? So many good things all happening for you. All for you, Norman. What do you want? To say what you want. To do what you can't. To remove those in your way. The board members, you killed them. We killed them. We? Remember your little accident in the laboratory? Performance enhancers. Bingo. Me, your greatest creation, bringing you what you've always wanted, power beyond your wildest dreams, and it's only the beginning. There's only one who can stop us. Or imagine if he joined us.
0: cinema Jaws brought to you by the guys over at cracking the code of spy movies podcast if you're into spy movies and you're into podcasts you should definitely listen to this one then you know what i'll let them tell you about it You love spy movies? Well, our show is all about spy movies from the classics like The 39 Steps, The Ipcris File, to James Bond, Mission Impossible, and current releases like No Time to Die. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Do the same on YouTube. Our show decodes key scenes, dives into connections and influences from other movies, does interviews with actors and directors, and keeps you informed with our spy movie news segment, all while having fun. Podcasts and YouTube videos. Join us on Cracking the Code of Spy Movies.
2: And we are back on Cinema Jaw hanging out with Paul Farber. His podcast, The Statue, which looks at the Rocky statue, is available. Do check it out, Jawheads. Before we get back to our list, we threw at least one item, I think at the top of the show, into the fish tank and fills back. So let's open up that fish tank. Wait a minute.
3: Who's coming with me besides Flipper
0: here? That's a second message. That
4: means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. We're going to need a bigger boat.
1: Thank you so much. It's so great to be back and be back out. I'm feeling good, feeling refreshed. Nails are prettier than ever. And, okay, you guys know, probably my favorite thing to get thrown into the fish tank is a highly ambiguous question. Uh and okay, my second favorite thing is probably a question that there are stakes to. I guess that's a pun <laughs> intended. Uh because you guys are split, right? I think it was Ryan you had said you think he's human or was that Matt? Mm-hmm. That was me.
2: I said vampire.
1: Okay. Uh we we should put money down on this because this is uh, well, you should remind the Jawheads what the question was. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jawheads. Yeah, it was was Willem Dafoe a vampire in Daybreakers. Uh, Matt is saying that Willem Dafoe was a human and Ryan is saying that he was a vampire in that film uh, to see if there was a second vampire performance by Willem Dafoe. And I, I don't have an official answer on this. Um, and I don't know what to count it. I, I think technically Matt wins in my book because mm. Willem Dafoe plays a human who has been cured of vampirism. So he was a former vampire and isn't anymore. Um, you but know, in the film, he's a human, the whole, for the whole yes, movie. Yes. He's a former vampire. He, he's, he's a, a, and he, he he got cured of his vampirism because he got ejected in a daytime car crash from his sunlight ceiling car. It sounds really goofy and ridiculous. But my thought process is I'm not thirteen anymore, so I'm not a theater kid. I'm I'm just Phil. And if someone referred to me as a theater kid still, I'd be like, what the hell? So I, I say point goes to Matt K.
0: Yeah. I'll take a point.
2: What what's crazier here? matt we reviewed that sh- movie on the show it's, yeah <laughs> even as phil's describing it i'm i'm I, I can't even draw anything from the movie i
0: remember it i remember it i remember the car crash and and all that so did you know it, in, in all honesty
1: he may have been a vampire very very briefly in the film so did he we can call a wash did that car crash play out as goofy as it sounds matt because it sounds oh, no. pretty goofy, and it's hard I, I was, for me to take Willem Dafoe being cured of vampirism in a car crash where he's ejected from his daylight ceiling car seriously. Oh, you better take that seriously, Phil. That that's like serious <laughs> as a heart attack. Let me tell you. Um, no, no, no. I I
0: was I was high on the film. It was it was not that goofy. It was actually a a worthwhile spin for sure.
2: All right. While we're in the fish tank, we threw a question out on uh, the Facebook. You know, the old Facebook. We haven't been using it a lot. And I told Matt in our last Cinema Jaw meeting, we got to use the Facebook a little bit, connect with the Jawheads. So since we're celebrating Willem Dafoe, we threw out a simple question. What is your favorite Willem Dafoe performance? And we got a few responses. A couple I wanted to read here. Our friend Elliot Serrano wrote in, "Platoon." which is when I first discovered them. Great call by Elliot because I think oh, yeah. that's right around the first time I discovered them too. I'm trying to think, and, and it had to be right around then. That's like mid to late 80s platoon. So I think that's where I probably knew him as well. Alex Daharsky wrote Wild at Heart. Bobby Peru is possibly the most memorable part of an already incredibly memorable movie. Chalk this one up, Alex, as another Willem Dafoe film I have not seen. We're at two major works of Willem Dafoe that I have to catch up with.
0: Uh, I got a couple too, Ryan, on on my personal Facebook page. And John Robinson, our good friend, fellow critic, chimed in to say, the last temptation of Christ and nothing else comes close.
2: Very Another passionate. one I haven't seen. I have not seen The Last I, Temptation of Christ.
0: I saw it like right when it came out because it was almost like, uh, you, you know, you had to see it. And I don't remember it. I need to watch it again. Long time. A couple other people mentioned Last Temptation of Christ, including longtime friend and frequent guest of the show, Charles Klein. Uh, he also mentions Live and Die in L.A. Charles did. And one last one I want to mention is from David J. Coot, who wrote Boondock Saints. He also goes on to say Platoon. I forgot Willem Dafoe
2: was in Boondock Saints. I did too. But once you say that now, it does ring a bell. I'm actually going to fact check that. that. I'm it. not sure he is in it. I, I believe he is in it. I, I think he's right. That totally makes sense to me. Oh, yeah. He's the cop. He's right? the cop. Yes. Interesting. Wow. What a career. Uh, if you're not a Patreon, um, maybe good time to join because we're going to have fun with a retro review pick, two. Just picking a movie is going to be tough to do for Willem Dafoe. I'm going to have to pick a good one.
0: I know exactly where I'm going, personally.
2: Oh, oh, Please don't. Are you going to go with Lars Van Trier? Because I don't know if
0: I can watch that movie again, honestly. I,
2: I don't know where I'm going to go. Okay. I don't know where. I got to look over the filmography f- first, Matt. I got to do my, my homework here. All right. One, one last order of business looking at next week. A little preview here. Our plan right now is is to review 65 with Adam Driver. I'm excited. I don't know what we're gonna do with top five. Prehistoric, I don't know where we're gonna go with that. That's our plan right now is review 65 with Adam Driver.
0: Best non-Jurassic Park dinosaur movies?
2: Who knows? How many are there? We'll we'll, we'll discuss, but a little, little tease there for next week. That was everything in the fish tank. Jump back in there, Phil. You bet. All right, always good to hear from the jawheads, Matt. Let's get back into our list. We we dropped off after our, our threes. We still got our heavy hitters here. What do you got sitting at number two?
0: At number two, well, here's here's my thinking behind this one. I think we've talked about the 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 way that boss battles have waves. We've talked about the journey to get there. We haven't talked much about the motivation, and revenge is also often at the forefront of of motivation driving a. a a character toward his final confrontation. It's a great, you know, um, sort of noble pursuit. And I don't think anybody did it better than Inigo Montoya when he faced off against count Tyrone Rugen, also known as the six fingered man at the end of the princess bride. Wonderful. (laughs) Like if you think about Wesley versus, uh, the Prince, that's not nearly as good as Inigo versus the six fingered man. And that's what, that's the fight we all wanted to see. And it did not disappoint. There's daggers being thrown. There's lines being repeated, which have been repeated so many times. I'm not even going to bother. And, oh my God. Wow. I could watch that movie again and again and again. And I still love that scene. I still love the whole damn movie. It's great. It's a perfect Mm. movie.
2: Mm. Wonderful film. Glad it came up, because that is a, a worthy number two. I thought, to be honest, that could have been your number one. I'm shocked. I, I don't know what you have at number one. Oh, now. okay. Really? You don't know? Okay. I don't. Interesting. Right, we'll see. My number one pick, two heavyweights, Russell Crowe versus Joaquin Phoenix, Ooh. Gladiator, 2000. Yeah. This movie came out. Um, You, you got Maximus, unfairly stabbed right in in the beginning uh before they even fight we get we get some dirty play from Joaquin Phoenix. He stabs Maximus and um right in the side and he's bleeding out basically throughout the entire fight. But he goes out into the uh Coliseum and still takes on uh Joaquin Phoenix's character and ends up winning. And, of course, he's going to win. I mean, he's went through this entire journey. He's, you know, had tigers come out of the the ground and and horses and carriages come after him, and he's been able to defeat everything in that coliseum. Now, of course, he's going to take on the single man, even though he's king of the empire, and he defeats him. The music here is great. The ending of Gladiator, very uh, emotional uh, moment. I, I, I think they handled that very well as far as, like, lifting up maximus at the end and giving him like the proper quote-unquote burial here was the fight necessarily as uh good as it possibly could have been maybe not but again sometimes the lead up to that boss battle is what really makes the movie and and this was highly anticipated that he was going to get his full revenge it's no shogun of harlem but uh yeah i'll give it to you right that was my number two we go to the rocky universe for paul paul what do we got sitting there
3: I'm going back to the original Rocky one. Well, so done. my yeah. So my, my number two boss battle is Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. And, you know, I, I, I think about that fight. Um, I have to, um, remind myself that, um, Rocky didn't win. And, you know, the, the two boxers went the distance. I think, um, From the very beginning of the series you get this like the complicated nature of boxing and art and life blurring and this truly is a moment where like two opponents end with profound respect for each other you know so i i just think of that as as a classic boss battle but one that spawned a rocky verse and um and did so with nuance like the nuances around race gender class um what it means to have love inside outside the ring your team your family your people so i'm putting rocky one uh rocky balboa versus apollo creed as my number two boss battle
2: that that fight uh, everything about it how about when he gets his eye cut open because his lid is just shut and so he says cut me mick cut me yeah and they, they cut him and so that he could see out the lid of his eye that's fantastic and then there's, adrian lo- loses her hat. adrian loses right. her hat
3: yeah <laughs> oh and in behind the scenes by the way like that was like one of um the most challenging scenes that that they shot um sometimes there were um extras in the room and sometimes they shot with no one else there like it, it the fact that that was iconic like was part of that against all odds behind the scenes work mm-hmm. that informed what happened on screen.
0: Mm-hmm. Boy, it's been a long time since I've revisited the original Rocky, maybe since the early nineties. I got to give the
2: whole, it's time, the whole Academy series award winning. I know. Academy right? picture. Yeah. Yep. It's a great one for sure. Wow. Came in at number two on Paul's list. That leads us to our number ones, Matt. I, yeah. I'm thinking maybe there's a, a Star Wars fight here.
0: No, no. no? I mean, I think nope. that would have been too easy. Honorable yeah, mention for me. Yeah, I did too.
2: And, and it's its own thing. You, you could do your own boss battles in Star Wars at this point, you know?
0: You could, you could. Uh, all right, If right. I'll give you a hint, Ryan. See if you can suss this one out. Get away from her, you Bitch. Ooh, you went aliens, eh? I did. Yes, that is the first scene that popped into my head when when we decided on doing boss battles. It is Ellen Ripley versus the Queen of the Alien Horde. That that mechanized suit that she gets such such a cool like cyberpunk scene where she's like physically wrestling with this giant xenomorph with this this um, construction suit. Basically, it's like a mech, but it's a it's meant for construction, not battle. But it was just enough to wrestle the thing into the airlock. She slams the door. I mean, the whole battle is fantastic for a human to go toe to toe physically with with a xenomorph, especially after the bloodbath and acid bath we just took for the last two hours. It's it's just a great, satisfying, wonderful scene from the 80s. Just, I mean, at its best Ripley at, at her best.
2: Right up there with Stallone knocking out Tommy Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> right up there, Ryan. I love it. My number one, I go over to uh, little old Quentin Tarantino's, gave us some boss battles. And, oh, yeah. Uh, he gave us two films uh, series, The Kill Bill 1 and 2. And I always think that Kill Bill Volume 1 goes on on such a high note. It is my number one boss battle. It is The Bride versus Oren played by. Lucy Liu, Lucy Lou. Lou. yep. Oh, wow. And just to get to uh, face Lucy Liu here, the bride actually has to face the Crazy 88s prior to that, which is an unbelievable scene, master filmmaking at its best. And that leads us then to this boss battle that takes place out in the snow, Tarantino slows it down. We get this uh, wonderful moment where all the music sort of stops, and there's that water fountain behind them that is uh, filling up and dropping the water, and it it makes it like a, a intimate moment between these two combatants that are about to uh, have a showdown with these swords. And the way the bride ends up dismantling Lucy Lou is fantastic, and. I only wish that Kill Bill Volume Two also would have went out with a awesome battle. Instead, it went out with that little heart punch. Yeah, five finger <sighs> death punch. That's right? what it was—the five finger death punch. I don't think that's oh. what it's called.
0: I think that's the name of a band,
2: but something like that. <laughs> Whatever that was, it, that that scene is is great in its own way with the whole conversation between Bill and the bride. But when we're talking about boss battles, an actual fight that led up to uh, this moment, the bride. Versus Oren Shi in the first kill bill is my number one pick.
0: Can't argue with it, man. Great pick.
2: So let's take a couple of guesses here, Matt, on Paul's number one. Um there's only a few left. <laughs> I he he can either he can either go Rocky versus Apollo the second time, and uh he actually beats Apollo in, in two. He could mm-hmm. go there. My gut though is telling me this is when Rocky wins and ends the Cold War and he's going to go with Rocky That's where for. I would is go. That where you're going to? That's that, where I, I would go, I think that's yeah. where he's going to go. Paul, the stage is yours, your number one boss battle in the Rocky universe. Yeah. You
3: both are correct that my number one boss battle in the Rocky-verse is Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, like this... Um, I I almost wanted to have Rocky versus Siberia, Rocky versus his giant Sherling coat um, that he has to navigate with. Um, But, you know, it's all there. And I think, you know, this is where, like, the geopolitics of Rocky play out. And, you know, in in the film itself, like, there's a lot going on here. There is what it means to be an underdog um, versus what does it mean to be, like, you know, in, like, amazing um, you know, um kind of 80s computer technology, like the equivalent of of kind of like data science for athletics now, but it was it looked like, you know, like 8-bit Nintendo. Yes, it did. aiding 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 the Soviets and the training of Ivan Drago. There is the ven- the kind of um vengeance, but also redemption for Apollo Creed, um, who had been you know killed in in the ring by drago there's the drama of you know the the soviet leaders and um brigitte nelson um you know who is like in the film on team drago but in real life was a, a, a attached to stallone so you know just have all this drama in it and i'm just thinking about you know like again like the the behind our podcast art and life are blurring all the time this is a series I talked to a colleague who grew up in a former Soviet state. Um, and like right around the time of of the disillusion of the Soviet union, she's talked about seeing this film and like the Rocky series became her orientation to the United States. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could like poke, poke holes at if you want to. And, you know, there's all this kind of, um, drama and flair, but but Rocky IV delivers and gives a glimpse into like the staying power and the 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 big drama um, that the the series keeps up to this day.
2: One of the remarkable things that took place during that fight was that Rocky w- was such a fan favorite that at, at around the seventh round, maybe the eighth round, the Russians actually start cheering for Rocky. Now. A a, a round in boxing is three minutes long. So we're talking in the span of about 21 minutes, the entire crowd of Russians turn their back on their national hero Drago and start cheering for Rocky. He was that big of a presence, Matt Kay.
0: It's amazing, you know? And this is the movie where we we finally understand Rocky's not going anywhere. I I can't remember what year Spaceballs came out in, but... It was certainly in the 80s and they make that joke in Spaceballs Rocky 5000. And here we are
2: today guys. I
3: forgot about that joke. That that Spaceballs one of one of um the bosses movies.
2: But you but know he, got, uh, just he a, suffered brain damage versus Drago and that's what led to Rocky 5 was the, because he he, yeah. he oh, had it? major brain damage. So.
3: Well, and look, let's also honorable mention here the beginning of Rocky 4 the Fight versus Hulk Hogan's, uh, uh Hulk Hogan, which you know, is, that's in is three, that's the, the
2: beginning of oh, three. Is that three. Oh, I'm yeah. so
3: sorry. So, I'm thinking about giant blonde
2: <laughs> fighters,
3: and um, so I'm confusing that there, but I do want to put that in as at least an honorable mention.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, um,
3: but but it didn't officially make the top five because truly that that fight with Drago stands a test of time, and let's just also note. Like there's rumors of a Drago spinoff series Oh no! um, and there's the younger Drago, you know, is in in the Creed series and makes a reappearance in Creed three. So just note the afterlife of a cold war, the geopolitics of the Rocky verse of the Creed story. It's still with us today. That's part of the staying power of this ultimate boss battle.
2: We'll see where they can spin this thing off because I heard rumors that Mick, the original uh, trainer, uh, back in the '80s, like tore up Yugoslavia, looking for young fighters, and had a few bastard sons over there. They may come looking for revenge.
0: Yeah, or, or Mick himself. Like, what's his story? Let's find out. You know. Well, he had a Who funeral
3: knows? in Rocky Three, and as we found out in the funeral, um, it was a Jewish funeral, and Rocky recites the mourners' kaddish. Um, and that's something like I, my my grandfather was a, a, a member of the South Philly High Boxing Club. So seeing a Jewish fighter, but who had never been identified as one until his funeral. And like it, it also pointed out again, you know, I, I look for those small details, but those little <laughs> details matter in the series. You never know when it's going to come back.
2: Oh, is. that is a great little detail to explore. I agree. Yes. Other honorable mentions here, Matt, outside of the Rocky. I only universe. have one. Go ahead.
0: Uh, it's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It must be mentioned. Yeah, I
2: agree, because the whole thing is boss battles. So you yeah. could really pick multiple boss battles within that one movie. I went with The Matrix, and I'm talking the first that, Matrix. That's on my list, too. Uh, my Neo versus item. Agent Smith in the subway. Absolutely. Oh, my God, yes.
3: Yeah, the flailing I <laughs> Paul is arm, doing uh, the
2: flailing arms, that move yeah. that he does.
3: If I had the flexibility, I would do that for things coming my way. Um, no, that's just, and that's epic and stands the test of time. One that
2: I, I left off my list on purpose. Cause we bring up the movie all the time. Maybe the granddaddy of them all that hasn't been mentioned here. The karate kid,
3: Daniel I'm really Russo, surprised
2: you didn't journey. have this. Yeah. I, we've yeah. brought up karate kid numerous times. It's f- absolutely fantastic. And then lastly was miracle, the USA hockey team versus the Russian hockey team. It is a sports movie, but it's all leading up to that moment. And that, and that,
3: geopolitics.
2: It, it's right. fantastic. It's, so, you it's all no, have,
3: you, you all have such range. I am glad I was taking mental notes because I, I, I really appreciate it. And I have some, some homework to do um, to go back to these, this, this list.
2: Yeah,
0: that's our aim, man. Hopefully we get people excited to watch a bunch of movies, you know?
2: Yes. And Jawheads, if we missed one of your favorite boss battles and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw. Our email feedback at cinemajaw.com. We like to end these podcasts with some fun trivia. And in honor of Creed 3, we are playing boxing movie trivia. Paul, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let MacKay go first. There are steals. Uh, and I will say they start off easy, Paul.
3: Okay. I, I'm, um, you know, going in as as a true underdog here, but I'm going to defer um, respect, respect respect is due um, to you, Matt.
0: Okay. I don't know how much of an underdog you are. We're, <laughs> I'm probably the underdog.
2: <laughs> Question one over to Matt Kay. Christian Bale won an Oscar for supporting actor for his role in this boxer movie
0: um i think it was just called the fighter
2: that is correct one to nothing matt k they start off easy here question over to paul name the boxing movie that starred hillary swank clint eastwood and won the best picture oscar
3: million dollar baby
2: that is correct Okay. one to one what a match we have here Da-da-da. <laughs> Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Question three over to Matt K. Who played Robert De Niro's brother in Raging Bull? Joe Pesci. That is correct. I heard things. I've heard things. Question four over to Paul. In the 2001 movie Ali, who played Muhammad Ali?
3: In West. Um, Will
2: Smith. That is correct. Speaking of Two Philly, to yeah. two. This is a really good match. My, oh, my. What a boss battle we have here. <laughs> Question five over to Matt K. Matt, who played the lead, Billy Hop, in the 2015 movie Southpaw?
0: I don't know why, but I think I'm going to take a guess and say Mark Wahlberg. That,
2: my friend. Is incorrect. Paul, you got a chance for a steal here.
3: If I get it wrong, do I lose a point? It doesn't matter. I'm going you, for it.
2: Yeah, you don't lose a point, so.
3: Mickey Rourke?
2: Oh, That is incorrect. We are looking for Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal was in <sighs> South. It's still yeah. two to two, and question six is over to Paul. Paul, Mike Tyson has made one movie with Bradley Cooper. Name it. The Hangover. There we go. Paul takes a lead here. All of a sudden, advantage Paul. It's 3 to 2 with two questions left. Question 7, over to Matt. This three-time Oscar winner for best actor starred in the Irish drama The Boxer in 1997. Name the actor. Holy crap. Three-time best actor winner? Yes. Ninth? Stars in this Irish drama the boxer in 1997.
0: Okay, who's making Irish dramas in 1997? It's got to be a short list. Uh, this is before Colin Farrell's time. Who? Who's making 97? Wow, man, I have no clue. Not a big fan of Irish boxing dramas in 97. I was doing other things. And-
2: and don't you say Topher Grace.
0: Well, it's a three-time Academy Award winning, and uh, Topher's yet to get his his nomination. It's coming. It's we just found just out last week
2: Matt's a huge Topher Grace fan.
0: <laughs> He's underrated, I tell you. Okay. Wow, that is so hard. I, I really don't know. Um,
2: Liam Neeson. I got nothing. Ooh, that's a good guess, but you are incorrect. <gasps> Paul, you can win it right here. Three-time Oscar winner, making an Irish drama in 1997 called The Boxer. Who's that actor?
3: Is it Daniel Day-Lewis?
2: We have a winner. Paul gets it correct. He is winning 4-2, to two, and there's only one question left. So Paul has won the match. The last question was this, Paul. Name the actress who starred as Diana Guzman in the 2000 film Girl Fight. Name the actress who starred as Deanna Guzman in the 2000 film Girl Fight.
3: I'm really glad I got the last question right, because I have no idea. <laughs>
0: I've never even heard of this movie. I'll take a guess. Is it Cher?
2: <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Not Cher. Sure. We're no. looking for Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez on that Okay. okay.
3: So I, 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 A Cher movie... In boxing, that would
0: that would just be incredibly popcorn worthy.
2: Hell yeah! Can I get a virtual handshake here? Virtual
0: virtual fist bump. There we go.
2: If it came down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker here, Paul. The the question would have been: Age of Joe Pesci closest to Matty? You got a guess on Joe Uh, Pesci? I
0: believe Joe Pesci actually played Yoda in. The Mandalorian, um, he might be 500 years old, but he looks great. I think he's probably in Earth years more like
2: 80. Um, Let's say, I'm going to say 80. Lock him in at 80. Paul, you got to guess? I'm going to go
3: 73.
2: Believe it or not, he's 80 years old. Matt nailed wow. that one. Wow. He turned 80 in February. So just this past month, he turned 80. So still- how old was he in Home Alone? What, what do you, now we got to do some major math, math here. Yeah, I mean, that was.
3: Okay. If 80, out.
0: Home Alone came out in 1990. So that is what? 30 37 years, years ago. ago. 37 years ago. So they yeah, did do, do the math. I'm there. wrong on that. I'm no. wrong on that. 33 years 33, ago.
2: 33. Yeah. I thought so. So.
3: Okay. That, that's, that fits the. 57. The
2: vibe. If, yeah.
0: Yeah. 47.
2: No. 47. The, 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 47. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This is why we have calculators. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh, I don't do math. He and, and producers. Right.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: He, he's he been around for so long, though. Joe Pesci's uh, a national treasure. Yes. And respect. I still wouldn't mess
2: with him. Even at 80 years old, I'm sure he could no. kick my ass. But, Paul, does Joe Pesci have a statue? Is there a statue of Joe Pesci out that we don't know about? I, I
3: don't know of one. Um, and I don't know of any characters that he played. But, you know, um, there's always tomorrow.
2: I like it. We got to get that Joe Pesci statue made. We got to get let's get to work on that. Jo- uh, cool. on that so I mean,
3: Home Alone, Chicago. This might be an opportunity for you to to kind of like mirror the Rocky verse and see, you know, like how
0: you how you bring that to life in Chicago.
2: Agreed. Well, I mean, just a couple of years ago, Matt went and
0: visited the Home Alone house. No, it's and, it's and, an and, annual tradition now. We and, and just went I a think few months ago. You
2: can Airbnb
3: it. Though, if you think about it, the Rocky statue, two arms raised up, the Macaulay Culkin statue would have two hands to the face. And I don't know if there's something here, Philly-Chicago connection.
0: It's synergy.
2: Well, Matt wears like a a, a worn leather jacket and these boots and chains. They thought he was one of the criminals from Home Alone. He was asked to leave the premises. Cops were called.
0: This is not true.
2: Oh, no? This is not true. No. No brings us to the end of the jaw and first and foremost we got to thank Paul for coming on. Great to meet you Paul. Love the podcast and uh thanks for doing this.
3: Yeah. Ryan and Matt, thank you so much. This was uh, fun. I hope I come back um for another time, another round, set of rounds. Just want to appreciate you and and really really grateful that you um, you know, featured the statue.
0: You got
2: it. We also got to thank our engineer, our producer, back in the fish tank, Phil. Fill me thank in. you
1: so much. It's great to be back. Uh, just for the record, um, <clears throat> that's actually why I missed February. It's not because we have a good producer. It's because it took me that long. I, I finally figured out what 80 minus 33 was. So, <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> and it was still a little that's late. That's about how long
0: but, it would have taken me.
2: Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors.
0: Yeah, thank you to Cracking the Code of Spy Movies and all the sponsors. Appreciate them.
2: Last but not least, we want to thank our Patreons. Thank you for supporting us there. We dropped another extra. Our retro review twofer of Michelle Pfeiffer is out there right now. So listen to that one. Grease 2 and Dangerous Liaisons.
0: I mean, yeah, it doesn't get much better than
2: that. It really doesn't. If you want to join our family of Patreons, go over to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. Join us there. It would mean the world to us. Until next week, I'm Ry, the Movie Guy. I'm Matt K, and, and keep on John about the, the movies. movies.